Hi, everybody. I'm Jessica Levinson, host of Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics, the law, a lot of things in between. And today we are going to do one of my favorite episodes, a SCOTUS Supreme Court preview. We are about to begin the 2021 term. And Joe Armstrong, my co-host and partner in crime, what are we talking about? All right, Jessica, you can hear the roar of the crowd. The preseason is over. Trades have been made. Coaches have prepped their staffs. And the first games of the Supreme Court season are about to begin. I kid, I kid. Actually, it's far more serious than the opening of any sports season. So maybe there aren't any cheerleaders, marching bands, or uniforms. But given that 300-plus million American citizens are affected by the decisions handed down by the Supreme Court, the beginning of the Supreme Court session, which is slated by law to begin the first Monday of every Every October is a big, big deal, and I can't wait to talk about it with you. So, Jessica, call me crazy, but it seems to me in some ways as if the last Supreme Court session never really ended. Now, am I missing something, or was the court especially active over what would normally have been their summer break? They were especially present in our lives over what would have been their summer break. I have a piece coming out on MSNBC where I write basically that the justices used to, you know, sign our yearbooks in June with the perfunctory HAGS, which thanks to my students, I know stands for have a great summer, and then disappear for a few months, you know, going to far off places to make well-paid speeches. But this year, they were ever present. So we've been talking a lot about their shadow docket decisions over the summer, of course, We've all been following their decision to let Texas's abortion law go into effect. They also stopped President Biden's eviction moratorium from going into effect, and they gave a big thumbs down to President Biden's attempt to stop one of former President Trump's immigration policies, the Remain in Mexico policy. So we've talked about all of those. I won't rehash other than to say Yes, there has been no absence, but you know me. I just, I can never get enough SCOTUS, so my heart has grown fonder, and I'm ready to embark on this, you know, potentially terrifying term. All right, Jessica, it can be said that every Supreme Court session is important, but there are a number of cases before the court with huge implications this time around. So this new session is proving to be a big one, or it's going to be a big one. Can you tell us why that is? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like in part it's because we're further away from some really bruising confirmation hearings. I mean, we're further away from, for for instance, Neil Gorsuch, certainly. We're further away from uh, Brett Kavanaugh. That was a really difficult confirmation hearing. It really increased fracture lines across the country. And then, of course, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who was, in my mind, rushed through, not before the election, but once voting had already started. So the court has gotten a little bit of distance from those confirmation hearings. And now I feel like they're kind of steady on their sea legs and they're taking these bigger cases. So, you know, what are the bigger cases? Big abortion case, big case dealing with gun control, and a lot of First Amendment cases, both dealing with religious rights and the freedom of speech. All right, let's jump out of the gate with perhaps the biggest, Jessica, which is abortion. Tell us where this is headed. 
Yeah. So Joe, we're kind of working in reverse order a little bit. This is the last case that the court actually gave a date for oral arguments. This case is going to be heard on December 1st. We've talked about it some, so I'll be fairly brief. This deals with the constitutionality of Mississippi's abortion law, which bans almost all abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Loyal listeners of the podcast have heard me say that this is at odds with current Supreme Court precedent set almost 30 years ago because the current standard, which was a more recent case, the Casey case in 1992, says that states can only restrict abortion pre-viability and cannot create restrictions that are more than an undue burden. Now, what's an undue burden? It's whatever five members of the court say it is. But fetal viability typically begins at about 24 weeks. Mississippi's law bans abortion starting at 15 weeks. So Joe, the punchline here is I think for a whole host of reasons, the Supreme Court is likely to uphold Mississippi's law. And the question in my mind will be, will the court specifically say Roe and Casey are overturned? Or will they say, we're holding on to Roe, we're just narrowing it, we're now allowing this 15 week ban to stand. And that's something that we will know come the end of June 2022. All right, Jessica. So as if the concept of Roe hanging in the balance isn't enough high drama, I know that there's also a case about Second Amendment rights on the docket for this term as well. Can you please tell us about that case and when the court will hear arguments about it? Yeah, this is going to be heard on November 3rd. And this, I think, is probably the second most controversial and perhaps consequential question facing the justices. And it's whether or not New York, the state of New York, can mandate that people who want to get a license to carry a concealed gun have to show a good reason for doing so, such as self-defense. And if you're, you know, paying attention at home, folks, you haven't heard us talk about big Second Amendment cases before the court for a long time. And that's because, you know, much to the chagrin of some of the more conservative justices, the court really hasn't taken a big gun control case, a big Second Amendment case for about a decade now. The last really big one in my mind was a 2008 case written by the late Justice Antonin Scalia, In that case, the court, by a bare majority, struck down the District of Columbia's law that banned carrying of unregistered handguns, barred the registration of handguns, and allowed the chief of police to issue one-year licenses for handguns. Now, the D.C. law also, in that case, the Heller case, this 2008 case, required that people who legally owned registered firearms had to keep them in basically non-functional states. Justice Scalia famously concluded that the Second Amendment is not a right just held by the militia, it's also a right held by each individual, and that the right includes the ability to hold and own a functional gun in one's home for self-defense. Why did I spend a lot of time on the old precedent? Because this case that the court's going to hear out of New York largely picks up on questions that were left kind of unanswered by Heller. And it will tell us basically how much power states have to restrict someone's ability uh, to carry a gun outside of the home. And 
this decision won't just affect New York, California, Delaware, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Rhode Island also place restrictions on carrying concealed weapons outside of the home. So all of those state laws are potentially called into question by what the court decides to do in that case. All right, Jessica, those are two cases with some very large implications, but let's move away from abortion and gun control into some other areas. There was a case in October that involves the potential ability of the U.S. government to prevent a prisoner at the detention facility in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, to obtain information about CIA contractors who tortured him for a lawsuit filed by that prisoner. So, Jessica, what are the implications in this particular case? Yeah. So as you said, this was a case where um, a man who's being held at Guantanamo Bay, a prisoner at Guantanamo Bay, sued CIA contractors. A different court had found that they did, in fact, torture him. And in this litigation, the question is whether or not the federal government can say, no, you don't get certain information from us. And the reason that the federal government's saying, prisoner, you don't get this information, is that they're invoking something called the state secret privilege to prevent the release of this information, saying that it involves sensitive national security information. You know, you said, how could this case affect other cases? Well, there's another pending case dealing with five men being charged in the U.S. military tribunal at Guantanamo Bay for aiding the men who perpetrated the September 11th attacks. And without getting into too many details, this issue of the state secret doctrine, I understand, could also affect that litigation. Okay, so we'll keep an eye on that, Jessica. Also in October, we have the fate of one of the Boston Marathon bombers, that is Zokar Zarnaev. What is at issue there in that case? What is at issue in that case is whether or not his death sentences should be reinstated. So this is a case that the court's going to hear on October 13th. And the question is whether or not the trial court, in failing to ask potential jurors about how much media coverage they had consumed about the case, and also in excluding evidence at the sentencing phase of this case, about his brother's involvement in a separate murder, whether or not those are grounds for overturning his death sentence. If they aren't, then the death sentence should be reinstated. So the question here really is what's going to happen to his death sentence and what is a valid basis for overturning a death sentence. All right, Jessica, let's move on to November. So in November, the court will also hear a First Amendment case that involves the freedom of religion. This particular case involves a prisoner on death row who wants to have his pastor lay his hands upon him as he has put to death after having been convicted of murdering a Corpus Christi, Texas convenience store clerk in 2004. What are the particulars in this case? Yeah, so this, and it's worth pointing out, November has a lot of First Amendment cases on docket at the Supreme Court, and this is a big one. This is kicks off the month, November 1st, and this case deals with death row inmate John Ramirez, and his case has kind of been 
lingering. And he claims that he has a constitutionally protected right, as you said, Joe, to have his Baptist pastor, not just in the execution chamber, but to actually put his hands on Ramirez and to audibly pray, to pray out loud. Again, not just be present, but to pray out loud while he has put to death. Now, Texas so far has said, no, we're not constitutionally required to do this. And the question is whether or not, in fact, Ramirez has a constitutionally protected right to those two things. Now, the previous cases in this area tend to address whether or not you can have a spiritual advisor present at all, not what that spiritual advisor can do once they're inside. So this case is basically kind of the next question. Okay, they're in the room. What rights do you have to ask them, meaning their spiritual advisors, to either, is it just that they're present or can you actually say, no, I have a constitutionally protected right for them to do more? Okay, Jessica. So the Ramirez case is not the only freedom of religion case in this term. There is another that involves a Christian group. It's a camp in the city of Boston. So tell us about this case a little bit. Yeah, so we are sticking with the freedom of religion for a moment, and this is a case that the court just decided to hear, so we don't know when it's going to be argued. It was filed by a Christian group, Camp Constitution, and it's filed against the city of Boston. And basically, Camp Constitution wants to use a city hall flagpole to raise its flag. Its flag has the Latin cross on it. Now, you might be saying, but what about the separation of church and state? Well, good question. Now, Camp Constitution here says, look, the problem is that the city of Boston allows a bunch of other groups to use its flagpoles, like groups that celebrate gay pride, groups that celebrate Juneteenth. And so Camp Constitution says, look, if you allow those groups to use your city flagpole, then you should allow us to use it, too. Now, both lower courts who have reviewed this case have ruled against Camp Constitution in favor of the city, but we've talked a lot about the fact that this is a Supreme Court that tends to be very protective of any claims dealing with religious rights, so we'll have to see what the court does. All right, but there are other First Amendment cases in November, Jessica. What is next? Yeah, so let's move from, we just talked about two freedom of religion cases. Let's move now to the freedom of speech. And back to November, back to cases that are actually already scheduled. On November 2nd, the court's going to consider the case of Houston Community College Systems Board of Trustees public censure of one of its own members. And they censured one of its own members based on things he said about them. Now, the member who was censured said, look, you you can't do that. You're violating my First Amendment rights. You're a local government body. You censured me. You violated my First Amendment rights. Now, that's a claim that the federal district court, meaning the trial court in this case, dismissed They said the censure was just a statement of the board's dissatisfaction. Then the Court of Appeals actually disagreed with the trial court. We don't, obviously, we don't know what the Supreme Court's going to say, but this case asks us more broadly about whether a local elected body has the power to censure one of its members based on speech that that member made 
basically about that governing body. So this is certainly a bit of an awkward situation for um, this governing body. And we'll probably give everybody more background into this case when we focus on this one um, in November. All right. So I know that the court recently announced that it would take up a case involving Firebrand Texas Senator Ted Cruz. And this has to do with some campaign finance law. I know an area of expertise for you. So Cruz himself is challenging an existing law. Have I got that right? Yes, that is right. So this is another case the court just decided to hear. And it's another case that does deal with the First Amendment and the free speech clause. And it deals with a federal law that caps the amount of money that candidates can raise after the election, post-election, to repay personal loans that they made to their campaigns. Now, the current cap is $250,000. When Texas Senator Ted Cruz was in a very competitive re-election battle in 2018, he specifically wanted to challenge that $250,000 cap. So the day before the general election, he loaned his campaign $260,000. Now, Cruz did this again. I think he's acknowledged this in the papers. He wanted to challenge this law, and he wants to be able to raise contributions after the election to pay back his full $260,000 loan that he made to his campaign. Um, now he says that the law violates the first amendment, his first amendment rights by burdening political speech without sufficient reason, because he said there's not enough of an anti-corruption purpose here. I'm going to guess that this is a court that is not looking with favor on campaign finance restrictions, but we will have to see Joe. Okay, Jessica, that is an awful lot, and I'm a bit exhausted just thinking about all of these cases. But taken together, it seems that the Supreme Court and its new conservative majority have an awful lot to consider and that the court's decisions will have a significant impact on American society at the end of this term next summer. When that rolls around, we'll do a recap, and we're going to talk about everything in between. So, Jessica, before we go, if you were placing bets on what the court will decide on these cases, huge and not so huge, are you willing to leverage your expertise on the court and make some predictions as for how they may rule? Uh, yes, because only fools make predictions. So here we go. L- let's save this tape for June 2022, Joe. All right. What do we think? Abortion, as I said, I think the court upholds Mississippi's ban on abortions after 15 weeks. The only question is how? Does it say we're overturning Roe or does it basically pretend that we are upholding Roe and just significantly narrow that constitutional right to obtain an abortion? When it comes to gun control, I'm pretty convinced that the court will rule against the state of New York and they will make it more difficult for states to implement those types of restrictions. Uh, When it comes to Senator Ted Cruz and his colleagues and their ability to raise money post-election to pay back loans that they made uh, to their campaign, I think it will be good news for Senator Cruz, not particularly good news for those who want to limit the influence of money in politics. And when it comes to the cases dealing with religious freedom, I will say I'm feeling pretty positive about Camp Constitution's claims here, not 100% sure. And the rest, I will say, 
Let's wait and see, Joe. We do always want to wait to see what happens in oral arguments. And this term of the oral arguments will be live streamed and we can hear it directly from the court's website, or you can tune in to Passing Judgment for a recap of the big cases. Alrighty, and anyone who pays attention knows that the court does indeed surprise us with their rulings from time to time. So thank you so very much, Jessica. I look forward to discussing these cases through the course of the next several months on our podcast and during the SCOTUS term, and also listening to you talk with experts on future episodes of our Passing Judgment podcast. Thank you, Joe. All right. You can find Jessica on Twitter and Instagram at Levinson Jessica. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and elsewhere at In-Depth Day. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod and on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. That's our Supreme Court preview. We will see how the term goes. Thanks for listening, everybody. 